RNZ News at 8 o'clock. Good morning, I'm Nicola Wright. There's something you probably hear in news bulletins a lot. No, it's nothing to do with politicians bagging each other or so-and-so from Group X calling for something. What I'm referring to is... The deaths will be referred to the coroner. The police say the death will be referred to the coroner. Or at the other end of the process. A coroner is warning of the dangers of gas heaters after investigating the death of a 94-year-old man in Christchurch. But what happens between those two points? Kia ora, I'm Alex Ashton, and today on The Detail, a conversation with the country's top coroner to clear up the confusion around a coroner's role. I'm Deborah Marshall, and I'm the chief coroner for New Zealand. When you tell people you're a coroner, what do people think you do? (laughs) Um, Some people have no idea. Some people think I'm a pathologist, so they say things like, how does a small person like you cut up bodies? And I'm like, no, that's a pathologist, not a coroner. So there is a lot of confusion out there, I think, about what we do. Natural causes. The guy clearly thought someone was coming for him, and I don't believe it was a dead pirate. Do you think that was possibly driven by that genre of TV that became really popular for a while? Did you notice that? Yes, uh, and there's one I think people have mentioned to me which I watched once because people kept on mentioning it and the coroner on there in the UK had no resemblance to what... uh, What was that one? I think it was just called The Coroner and uh, she just seemed to spend all of her time running around the countryside with her detective colleague uh, solving crimes and deciding causes of death. He was just an old man with a dicky ticker shooting his shadows. And judging by the empty whiskey bottles, he wasn't looking after himself either. My gut says foul play. Which is nothing like uh, what a New Zealand coroner would do. On that then, is there a typical day for you? No. (laughs) Uh, So coroners run a 24-7 system. So every day and every night and every weekend and every public holiday, there is a coroner on duty. Uh, So they're called the duty coroner and they uh, are on duty for the whole country. So every death that is reported is reported to the duty coroner. I didn't realise there would have been such a roster system involved in all of this. It didn't strike me as the kind of job that would have been shift work. (laughs) No, and people are very surprised. I think uh, we do have a roster and, for example, we're on duty, uh, on night duties, weekend duties, probably six weeks every year, each coroner. Because running a 24-7 system with 18 coroners is actually quite an undertaking. The coroner investigating the deaths of seven people in a head-on collision in Taranaki last year is backing calls for random roadside drug testing. We uh, investigate all deaths uh, from accidents, so motor vehicle crashes, people falling off buildings accidentally. We investigate all suicides, uh, death from crimes. So any death that's not from natural causes. But we do end up investigating a lot of natural cause deaths because... A doctor, for example, may not be able to give us a cause of death. They might say, yes, this person has a heart condition, but I wouldn't expect it to kill them. Um, So then we have no cause of death, and the Coroner's Act says if the cause of death is not known, then the coroner has to investigate and establish a cause of death. The other important thing a coroner does is establish the identity of a deceased person, and that might sound a bit strange, uh, but, for example, if there's a bus crash and there's 10 people on the bus and people are thrown around or maybe thrown out of the bus and have injuries to their face, then the coroner has to be satisfied that they are properly identified before the body is released. So that can involve either having an next of kin come in to identify the body if they're visually identifiable, or perhaps having a forensic odontologist, which is a specially trained dentist, compare the records 
from the dental practice with the body that's in the mortuary. And they can say, yes, that's the same person. A coroner has ruled that a young woman who was suffocated by a large goiter on her thyroid could have been saved if she'd had surgery more quickly. Do coroners themselves generally get close to the actual bodies of the deceased or are you mainly working with evidence and paper and documents and things? The act says that coroners don't need to view a body and because the duty coroner is covering the whole country and may have 20 deaths reported in one day, it's impossible uh, and there's no need. The police are our agents for that purpose, so they will go to the scene of a death and take photographs, interview people, uh, they will form a view as to whether they think the death is suspicious or not and then they feed all that information back to us. Then after the body has been released from the mortuary, the file about that death will go from the duty coroner to what we call a cluster coroner, who was a coroner in the region near to where the person died. And they will take over the investigation from there. In news, people who work in news, but also people who listen to news, will have heard the term, it's been referred to the coroner many, many times. Yes. Can we go through the process of what happens between that happening and work all the way through up until when we get, in the cases we do get recommendations, we get recommendations that come through into the news inbox. So the coroner that they are referring to is the duty coroner. They are the ones who are going to make the decisions about, yes, it's a coroner's case, no, it's not a coroner's case. Uh, Yes, we're going to have a post-mortem, no, we're not going to have a post-mortem. Have I established identity to my satisfaction, yes or no? And then the duty coroner will say, I no longer need to retain this body, so I'm going to release it to the family's undertaker. So the family will have spoken to a funeral director and we send a document to the mortuary and to the funeral director saying the coroner no longer requires custody over this body and the funeral director will go to the mortuary and pick up the body on behalf of the family. Then the file will go to the cluster coroner and we start an investigation. Uh, So... For example, the police will have taken statements from people at the scene, but I might think that a statement from the person's GP might be really helpful. So we write to the GP and say, can you give us the clinical history? Can you send us the clinical notes? I might want an expert opinion on a particular matter, uh, whether it be some medical matter. If someone's died at a hospital, say, during an operation, did something go wrong in that operation? So we might instruct an expert specialist to give us a written opinion on that. We uh, work with the serious crash unit in the police, so they'll go out and measure the roads if it's a motor vehicle crash and skid marks and tyre marks and all that sort of thing and give us a full report on that. Same with um, some of the other agencies like WorkSafe New Zealand or Maritime New Zealand will give us reports. So when the cluster coroner says, all right, I've got all the information I need about this death, the next decision is, do I need an inquest or can I do this what we call on the papers. I was going to say, so this is all before any inquest happens. This is just getting the facts together. Exactly. So once uh, the coroner has decided they have all the information, they'll look at it and say, are there any issues that are disputed? For example, if it's a medical death, have I got one doctor saying, no, nothing went wrong, and another doctor saying, yes, something went wrong? So in that case, you'd probably go to inquest because you'd want to have the evidence from the people on a one-on-one basis. The inquest into the death of a two-year-old girl from leukaemia after she was discharged from Dunedin Hospital's emergency department twice in her last three days alive wrapped up today. It ended with evidence from the Southern DHB's chief medical officer.
and also the family might want to cross-examine one of the doctors or both of them. Well, you might want to cross-examine, the coroner might want to cross-examine them. So, so in that case, you'd probably go to an inquest if there are facts which are in dispute or not very clear. The family might want to cross-examine. Is that something that happens? Yes, they're allowed to. In fact, uh, the Coroner's Act says that if a family wants to cross-examine a witness, then you must have an inquest. Do you ever get resistance or walls put up by anyone who doesn't want the process to to happen? Yes, sometimes. Uh, Sometimes family members would rather not go places. We can compel witnesses to provide information to us. We can also summon people to appear at an inquest. So uh, I guess it's only if someone's overseas where we can't really easily get them back. Uh, and if they refuse to talk to us, then there's not a lot we can do. But generally, we try and work around those sorts of issues and try and explain what our role is. We are not able to establish any criminal or civil liability, so we can't say that person killed X, but we can establish the cause and circumstances of death. So I don't think people should fear the investigative process because all we're trying to do is establish why that person died and, and can we do something to prevent that happening in the future. Two years after the killing of preschooler Moko Rangitua Heredi, a Rotorua inquest is trying to find out if the tragedy could have been avoided. The coroner's already compared the three-year-old's death to one of the country's worst child abuse cases. The inquests, basically, you have one of those in cases where there are disputed facts. When else might you have an inquest? Sometimes if matters are very complex, it's easier to get everyone together in a courtroom and question them as opposed to just relying on statement after statement after statement and saying, well, can you clarify that part of your statement or whatever? It might actually be easier just to call everyone in to give evidence in person on oath, have it all recorded. That way the coroner can ask questions on the spot, something's not clear, and the family get a chance to hear the evidence. So it might clarify things for both the coroner and the family. The inquest into Mason Pendris's death is underway at the Christchurch District Court after he was found in Canterbury University's Sonoda Hall of Residence on September 23rd. The coroner's ruled the 19-year-old's body lay unnoticed in the campus accommodation for between two and four weeks. What's the proportion of cases that would go to a, an inquest? Very small, and that's uh, partly because of the huge workload that coroners carry each coroner probably has between two and 300 active cases, but they also have to do the duty rosters, so that takes them out of their normal day-to-day work. So uh, I think probably in Australia or New Zealand, the inquest rate is falling because of the uh, work overload. So um, I would say it's probably certainly less than 10% of our cases would go to inquest. The rest are done on the papers, which the Act allows for. Is that worrying? I think you would, most coroners would say you are going to find out more by holding an inquest because it is that ability to look at a witness and just ask question after question after question, which you can't do on paper-based system. So I think we all accept that uh, for cases where there is some complexity or dispute about the facts, uh, an inquest would be preferable. What's at the core of what the inquest is trying to do? Is it about finding explanation? Is it about blame? No, it's not about blame. We try and find the cause and the circumstances of the death. That's our role under the Coroner's Act. But also a very important role is to make comments or recommendations that 
may be used in the future to prevent similar deaths. So that's what an inquest and a hearing on the papers is held for. Coroner Bridget Winley is calling for urgent action to make quad bikes safer after the release of yet another report into the death of a farmer killed in a quad bike accident. Winley describes the problem as a persistent concern, saying another coroner highlighted the problem four years ago. Let's talk about those recommendations now then. So the comments you make, what sorts of things do, do you say and who are you talking to with those? So that's going to be very, very case-dependent. So, for example, the motor vehicle crash. If the person's lost control on a corner and we find out that there's been two previous accidents on that corner, we might write to Land Transport and say the serious crash unit tells us that the speed advisory signs should be changed, so lower the speed on that corner, or the road needs to be reconfigured or the gravel needs to be removed. So that's the kind of practical recommendations we might make to a government agency to say that we think this would prevent similar deaths in the future. The coroner wants the government to consider making rollover protection devices mandatory, funding rider training and introducing a national safety rating system for vehicles. How much weight do you think those recommendations carry with the people that have the power to legally change things? We get quite a good feedback. Um, It's not mandatory for them to respond to our recommendations or to implement them. But we do write and say these are the recommendations. We give them in draft to the organisation and they have a chance to respond and say, well, we don't think that would work because of X or we tried that five years ago and it didn't work. So there's a bit of to and fro to say this is the recommendation I'm going to make and then we release the final one And we encourage people, particularly government agencies, to respond to that recommendation in writing and say, yes, we have implemented this, and we are going to, or we are seeking funding to do this, or whatever. And then we publish the recommendations online. So we have a summary of the case, a summary of the recommendation, and then the response. So that's a kind of incentive for people to respond, because they don't want the public reading that and then saying, well... Gosh, they couldn't even bother sending a letter saying, yes, that's very interesting, or no, we're not going to do it for these reasons. So, Is there ever pushback to recommendations? Yes, and some of them are well justified. Look, we're not experts in everything, and we investigate all sorts of deaths, from drownings, um, suicides, hospital deaths, so we can't possibly be experts in everything. So if we send a draft recommendation to someone and they come back with an evidence-based response to say, well, that's not going to work, then we'd look at that very clearly and may change our recommendation as a result of that. Is it frustrating when they don't get picked up? I guess one of the most frustrating areas is uh, sudden death in infants um, because coroner after coroner, year after year, makes recommendations and comments about the fact that every sleep should be a safe sleep for a baby. So that's baby on their back in their own cot or peepee pod. After years of improving statistics, the number of babies dying of cot death is back on the rise. And we make those recommendations, and then a file comes across your desk where the child's sleeping on an adult bed with, say, both parents and two toddler siblings, and they're found dead in the morning. And you think to yourself, here we go again, where I'm going to make that same recommendation that every sleep should be a safe sleep. So that can get quite frustrating. Which, and you just touched on it there, I think, but which kinds of cases are the hardest? Oh, gosh. Um, 
I think that will depend coroner to coroner. Um, for you then? For me, I always find uh, the wholly preventable deaths quite distressing because you think if only they had put the baby to, on their back and in their own cot, uh, if only they had worn life jackets on the boat, if only they hadn't consumed so much alcohol and then got in their car or on their motorbike. And you read them and you feel sad for the person who's died, but sad for their families too, because that was a completely preventable death where they haven't heeded the messages. There's a statutory cap of 20 full-time coroners. There are 17 at the moment. They had 18, but one left to head up the suicide prevention office. Remember, these people are dealing with the daily duty and a backlog of up to 300 cases each. So to help deal with the workload... In the budget uh, this year, we got uh, funding for eight relief coroners. We've just going through the recruitment process. They should be starting early next year. So they're appointed for five years, and they're uh, 0.75 full-time equivalent. They will be doing exactly the same work as the current coroners, but it will reduce the workload for the current coroners so they can address their backlog of cases and also reduced waiting times for families who are waiting for the coroner's finding. Uh, so they'll be doing duty work and they'll be doing cluster work, cluster files, uh, and taking some files off the coroners who have high workloads at the moment. Is the backlog coming down or no. is it getting it's worse? It's getting worse, which is not surprising given the population rises. So if the population rises, the number of people who die rise. Uh, so our workload increases because we haven't had an increase in coroners uh, for some time, then it's clear that that's going to create a backlog of work. So that's why the eight relief coroners are so important. So what would help that backlog then? Obviously more coroners, but what needs to change to get more coroners? Well, I think we have to wait and see how the eight relief coroners go in starting to make the trend go the other way instead of upwards, go downwards, and then we'll have a better idea of perhaps of how many full-time coroners we might need after those relief coroners uh, or in, in addition to those relief coroners. So I think I would prefer to wait and see how those relief coroners make an impact and then uh, be able to formulate a plan to say, right, this is what we need to do. Do you enjoy the job? Most of the time. What do you like about it? Every day is different. The role of the chief coroner is got many and varied. Lots of presentations to interested groups like doctors and nurses, nurse practitioners, lots of uh, interactions with various coroners on individual files that they might want to talk about. I do the duty work the same as other coroners. I enjoy that because it just is a change and it's also, I think, dealing with all of our partners, the police, the pathologists, uh, the medical profession. So it's a nice kind of get out of the office and have that kind of face-to-face, well, not face-to-face, but telephone-to-telephone contact um, with people who are very important in our role. Uh, And I also really enjoy the investigative uh, role. It must be hard, though, because at the centre of everything you do is death. That must take a toll. It does. Uh, We refer to the daily diet of death because every file we deal with ends with a paragraph and then then they died. So uh, it can take a toll and what we try to encourage is uh, the collegiality of the bench of coroners. So you may get out of your office and go and see another coroner just to talk about the case, not because you need advice, but you just need to offload on someone and say, gosh, this is is really bad. 
and have a chat and then uh, go back to it. So it is um, a difficult job, but uh, one that I enjoy personally. Hey, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate you coming thank in. You. That's the detail for today. I'm Alex Ashton. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz, made possible by the RNZ NZ On Air Innovation Fund. Hit the subscribe button to stay across the detail every day. And if you're on Apple, please leave a rating, as it helps other listeners find us. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. Thanks to the Chief Coroner, Judge Deborah Marshall. Kakite anō.